0: Hello, and welcome back to Teachable Future. Today joining me is the amazing Jangles Science Lads, or otherwise known as SJW Debates. Uh, that'll be on YouTube and Twitter. Jangles here is an um, online left-wing content creator, debater, and all-round clever person. Um, Jangles, hello.
1: Hello. How are you doing, Hugh?
0: I'm amazing, thank you. How are you?
1: I'm, I'm doing good today. So, oh, yeah, smack dab, middle of the workday. It's a nice little break. So, ah, well, excited then. for Thanks some so interesting much. conversations.
0: As am I. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Um, just for the viewers here, just to describe, you know, what it is that you do and, you know, what is sort of your, um, you know, I guess your your general aura around your amazing channel, Jangle Science Lad. Okay.
1: So a few years ago, I think I was uh, in a lot of people's shoes that I was uh, frustrated about like uh, what was going on, especially in like the political sphere. But I wasn't super involved uh, in any way. You know, I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a job. I didn't have any. Well, I didn't have a job that was related to politics. I did have a job, uh, <laughs> but it was a personal training. And so, you know. Uh, Nothing where I could like feel like I was making an impact uh, in the world as a whole. Uh, Not to say that that was, you know, I'm getting off track here, but um, I felt a little kind of helpless and uh, I felt like really frustrated that, you know, all the stuff, all these bad things were going on. Like, you know, there's nothing that I could personally do. And then I thought, well, you know, uh, well, there is stuff you can do. I can get online and I can fight with strangers and get really mad about everything. And that's somehow going to help things. Uh, That's going to make the world a better place. (laughs) But if I'm just mad enough online. Uh, the world will get better. So one night at around two a.m., uh, I decided to make a uh, a Twitter account. The perfect uh, time, actually, yeah, perfect time. Uh, and that two a.m. Twitter account, after a few bourbons, is why you have, uh, why we see the name SJW debates is my Twitter handle. So you know, I'm stuck with that, which is which is <laughs> fine, which is fine. it's quite funny. Yeah. Well, and, and part of the reason I said that was because, uh, especially around that time, this was about in 2018. Mm-hmm. There weren't a whole lot of like left wing debaters out there. So all of the like the quote unquote discourse was about uh was mostly at least my conception of it was right wingers dunking on feminists uh via like uh, you know video responses like so like there wasn't a whole lot of dialogue, but the mm-hmm. p- people who are seen as like the ah, I'm oh, I'm the smartest person in the room, uh you know I'm the I'm the big bad smart debatey debatey boy, which is dunking on feminists. So I didn't see a whole lot of that coming from the left. I realized now that that existed. It just wasn't mm-hmm. as big as it is now. So, now I wanted to step in and like I will be the uh, the social justice warrior, whomst is also a debater. So. <laughs>
0: And, you know, as, you, as you pointed out there, I think, you know, around 2016 and 2018, I think it was actually 2016, you know, the online political sphere was very much dominated by, you know, right-leaning voices. You know, the battle of ideas, as some might say, or the marketplace of ideas was very much dominated by these right-leaning voices. You know, your Sargons, your Shapiros, your Petersons, your Rubens. Um, and but then now recently, or, or I guess in the last year, probably the last year, there's been a bit of a, um, I guess, a resurgence of, you know, um, of leftist voices um, being, you know, um, like yourself or like people like I guess I guess Vosh for example, who are much more uh, aggressive in, in engaging with um, opponents in in this um, Discord. What do you think has led to this sort of increased presence of left wing voices um, in this sphere to the point where you see a lot of people like Sargon running from any sort of um, debate engagement?
1: I think a, a a huge part of it was seeing someone do it and succeed at it. I honestly think that that that's, uh Destiny, for all for all his faults, he definitely broke that barrier. He mm-hmm. showed this, you know. Uh, the, the, it wasn't just that our d- ideas were good and data backed them up is that we can communicate them effectively. And then if you actually are, uh, you know, force, uh, someone, uh, who has, you know, had this echo chamber for the longest time, who's only been doing video responses, uh, but who considers himself this master of discourse and this, you know, logic and reason bro to actually force them to, you know, uphold their ideas and explain their ideas in real time. A lot of them just aren't very good at it because it turns out their, their reasoning only goes skin deep. And mm-hmm. they don't, you know, they haven't thought out their positions very well at all. And being able to, from a rhetorical standpoint, just, uh, you know, challenge them on their ideas one level deeper than they're used to. And they often just fall apart. And so once we realize that actually our ideas are good, the data does back it up and we can be good enough rhetoricians and good enough speakers to to engage with them. Well, now you see a a, a resurgence of mm-hmm. I don't even see a resurgence, just a an influx Uh, of you know lefty online creators who decide Mm -hmm. that yeah i'm going to go into these spaces i'm going to uh go into you know right-wing circles or challenge right-wing voices and i'm going to make their make them defend their ideas on their own merits and i think we're doing a pretty good job coming out on top most of the
0: time Mm -hmm. so um how important do you think it is to be represented in this um online discourse you know a lot of people a lot of time people will talk about like um online politics versus real life politics um how important was it to fill a sort of a vacuum of left-wing voices in the online political sphere.
1: I think as we go forward, the disconnect between online politics and real politics is going to get you know thinner and thinner. Because especially, I mean, who isn't online these days, especially since most of us are being forced to be online for the past <laughs> couple of months? And you know, we're developing habits that are just going to continue to go on. Um, and how much, you know, how important is like Twitter for the marketplace of ideas, especially with, the, you know, our president making that his primary avenue of communicating with the public. So I think as time goes on, the, there's just gonna be less of this hard barrier between quote unquote online politics and real politics, uh, just because that's how you can get out this giant message to a bunch of people at once. And so I think getting uh, getting in on it now and setting up a good, like, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Like a good ethos, a good, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm struggling to think of the word a good oh, environment on. culture culture, culture there we go yeah, good environment go. a good culture of you know we are willing to defend our ideas because we think they're good. I think that's important because a Mm -hmm. few years ago it didn't seem, and again, this is just my perception. It didn't seem like a lot of left-wing creators, a lot of the quote unquote social justice warriors were willing to do that because to give these ideas the time of day is to legitimize them in and of themselves. And I don't think I believe with that, uh, that description.
0: Mm -hmm. So um, what do you think is necessary for, um, as I said, you know, the line between an online politics world and and a real world, politics world i guess um is is, you know blurring more and more every day but what do you think is going to be necessary for um an online left for example to really break into um policy you know change i mean there's a lot of like um elements of, of online political discourse which don't really work in real life, whether it be like, you know, an an overt aggressiveness or like a gatekeeping style, um, these sort of issues. What do you think will be necessary for um, an online leftist sphere to start or to to really translate into real world success? A recognition that even though uh,
1: that line is blurred between online and real world discourse, that uh, with online discourse, not unlike real world discourse, the people who you surround yourself with uh, are not representative of the broader public that we're trying to reach. So even though you can have thousands of followers and interact with literally hundreds of people every day or thousands or even tens of thousands, mm. if you know, enough people like your tweets, um, that's still a very insular community, and it's not representative of the broader like people who you need to actually convince. Something that is really tough is um, if you want to enact change, preaching to the choir, uh, getting a, a tens of thousands of likes isn't going to do it you're not going to, like you need to convince people who already don't think mm-hmm. like you and that requires going into spaces that are hostile that requ- or it, not, if not outright hostile just not res- immediately receptive to what you're saying mm-hmm. so it requires going out uh, maybe even into the real world going out into real events going into those like so for example I went to uh, not Mythcon but it was run by the same guys called the, the Better Discourse Conference I got a lot of pushback from that because that's a right wing event but that's exactly the places we mm-hmm. need to go because that's a quote unquote real world events where you're interacting with real people and that's important for like legitimizing our ideas it's important for uh, optics for lack of a better word optics are um, important you know how people perceive your ideas is as or more important than the ideas themselves so um it's just being more aware of how the public thinks outside of our our uh, close knit community and uh, being able to identify with those ideas, rather than just immediately discrediting or demonizing people for not being as woke as we are.
0: <laughs> so, what do you think the you know your average political content consumer or you know your average keyboard warrior can do to um, start to lead to this positive change in the real world? You know, a lot of I think a lot of questions that I see. Left and content creators, you know, a lot of questions they receive are things like, oh, how can I get involved? How can I start to support, you know, um, these sorts of movements without just arguing with people on Twitter? Um, What do you think that, you know, just the average person who doesn't have a massive platform or, you know, loads of resources can do to really start to try and make a change uh, in, in politics?
1: I think first what you have to do in this, or at least this is what I did. What content do you already enjoy? And really think about like what drew you to that content. So if you have a favorite creator or a favorite couple of creators uh, that are politically, uh, you know, what was uh, politically informed or politically (laughs) active, what drew you to them? What makes you like them? Is it, are they funny? Uh, Do they have a really engaging style? Uh, Are are they like artistic in their uh, video presentations and things like that? And think about less about the content and more about the way it's being delivered. I know that seems like I'm try- I'm thinking surface level, but no, it's actually like the ideas are pretty consistent on, you know, uh, income inequality, bad, racism, bad, let's fix these things, uh, you know, LGBT rights, these things are good. It's, and just having the, the correct ideas isn't enough, you have to convey those ideas, and uh, most people – Unless uh, the people who will like dedicate their lives to politics are probably in the minority. Most people have, like I did, uh, like I said at the beginning, they have a quote unquote normal job. uh, (laughs) And when they're on the Internet, when they're on Twitter, they're they're wasting time. So you have to think like, well, what is someone going to click on uh, uh, that would entertain them, but also uh, would also inform them? So part of that has to do with like you got to make something that someone is you have to make it. So someone who isn't already invested in the topic would click on it anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so one put
1: po- oh, sorry oh <laughs> uh, no so because i realized i didn't really answer your question just start yeah um if you want to get involved sometimes just being uh active on twitter is enough uh engage with people who uh are, are vehemently disagree with you and don't treat them like absolute shit <laughs> can i curse on the show
0: go for it it's
1: fine <laughs> yeah so do not treat other people uh like absolute dog shit if you actually want to make a change and be an activist because the people who don't agree with you those are who you're trying to talk to it's not just supporting the people with the good ideas it's reaching out to the people with the quote-unquote bad ideas so and hey not, none of us are going to change the world by ourselves i mean as as people who are on the left we kind of sh- this should be like the core uh the core principle of our beliefs right like systems are important uh so none of us you know just because you're not going to change the world by yourself that doesn't mean you're not going to play a part and so just convincing two or three people to convince a, a, to think a different way on Twitter, that's good. If, if more people did that, we'd be in a better, we'd be in a better spot. So, and if you want to make content, I'd say go for it. Making content is – I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's very easy to get started. It's very easy to, to cut your teeth on and give it a shot. All you need is a microphone. You don't even need a web- webcam if you don't, if you don't want. Like, there's a lot of ways that you can get involved. Think about what you enjoy. And then try making it yourself, and then you'll find what you do and don't like, or whether or not this is like a this specific avenue is where you uh, want to go down. But there are plenty of avenues. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, we've got our first hot take of the podcast there for you. Um, Jangles don't treat people like dog shit. So um, (laughs) that's a quote, if you ask me. Um, Uh, And there's
1: uh, it sounds weird. There's there's research to support that. If you needed that research. Oh well, (laughs) that people tend to be more receptive to ideas presented by people who aren't being (laughs) shitty to them. So.
0: Classic, classic jangle citing all these studies. You know, I'm I'm here talking about you know the ideas, but we've just got loads of studies, there, so loads of science. Fine. <laughs> amazing, um, amazing, <laughs> amazing. I can't, I can't stop. I watched one Jesse Lee Peterson thing. That's his name, isn't it? And yes. I can't, I just can't stop myself. It's too fun. It is amazing. It's amazing. Like <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's so, so fantastic. Unironically, just, I love it. It is just. It's just. It's too much fun. It's just too much fun. The fact that someone with such abhorrent beliefs has such an amazing way of speaking is quite upsetting to me but
1: um i mean it should also really highlight how important rhetoric is how important being entertaining and being likable is because try as i might his ideas are abhorrent i can't not like Jesse lee peterson he's he's somehow a
0: likable person i don't know how
1: yeah and that's important <laughs> like it's really important to come across as, as likable so this and you kind of pointed to this earlier this uh This environment that we've set up, especially on Twitter, where dunking on people and being instantly incredibly aggressive towards people, uh, that's kind of the environment that's on there, and it's not good. It's not – or at least it might be good to make you feel better. It might be good to, like, release aggression. But let's be honest – how many times have you went in hard, and they went in hard, and then you're just fighting back and forth until 3 o'clock in the morning, getting progressively madder and madder, and then the sun's rising, and you haven't gotten any sleep, and you're just incredibly mad all the next day? I know That's happened to me a shameful amount of times because I am a product of my environment, and I'm not too good to fall into that trap of being shitty to people on Twitter, even though I should know better. So, yeah, I mean, think about that. If you want to be an activist, that uh, being an activist is not – uh yelling at people who don't agree with you to push them away and make them mad it's trying to get them to change their minds and that requires a different thought process than dunking or cheering on your side
0: i mean i think it does remind me of the amazing uh, michael brooks quote which you know the the one i think everyone talks about quite often which is just be ruthless with systems but be kind to people um and i think that is something that's very important in trying to bring people onto your own side as to you know be I guess it I, I always think it's important to be something I've, to, I've tried to emphasize in my like tiny videos has been like being welcoming. If someone wants to change their mind, you don't want to go ha See, you were wrong. You want to go oh good, come join us. We're much better than that. You get rewarded for changing your opinions and then becoming right. I think welcoming is is a good is a good something good for a community to try and build.
1: Yeah, that's kind of where the discourse is at uh, right now on Twitter. Right, like should we welcome people who are like quote unquote mm. reformed fascists? Yeah. Uh, and I can see like they did You know, they might have caused a lot of harm they might have been really shitty to all these people are we just gonna let them get away with that mm-hmm. but on the other side like well i mean do you want revenge or do you just like what
0: mm-hmm. do you like, want like results being
1: shitty? yeah being mad at them right now isn't going to undo all that damage mm-hmm. like nothing is going to undo it all so what if they started doing good instead isn't that like from an objective standpoint isn't that good should we mm-hmm. encourage that
0: yes speaking earlier of um of political content that um we find entertaining and want to emulate um you had your recent debate with milo yiannopoulos um and it was it you know it, it was it was very interesting it was on white fragility um the, the highlight reel is on your channel jangle science that of course um how do you think that that debate went in this conversation you know and what, what was the general feedback you want to describe to the audience who may not have seen it how it went uh and why it was a, why it was quite a peculiar one to watch in terms of um online debate, especially if peculiar
1: like him. is definitely a a way to describe it. Mm. So I'm of two <laughs> minds about it. So so that debate happened a little over a month ago, so I've had kinda time to get uh it's some really, really good criticism, mm. really good feedback, uh and to kinda like let the let the praise die down a little bit. <laughs> um i'm of two minds about it on one hand i i don't think that i presented the ideas around my fragility i don't think i presented them super well uh and i could definitely and i've definitely took that to heart when i went to the better discourse conference uh to change up the rhetoric a little bit to appeal to the audience more to be simpler mm-hmm. which is something that you know is overlooked a lot you should be simple in online debates because i mean just like so i'm a teacher by trade uh now so you know people are only going to listen to about 20% of what you say. So make sure you really hammer home the points, the main ideas that you want them to to walk away from. Because even if they forget the specifics, they can remember the feeling that the specifics uh, supported the main point you wanted to make, and that's what they'll walk away from. I don't think I did a great job about that. So if we're talking about the content of the debate, the objective analysis of the debate, I think I could have done better. On the other hand, the world's biggest troll cried about being called buddy and dog and from that standpoint i don't think i would have changed a thing
0: yeah that it was it i thought your editing at least um in, in your like cut up version of the highlights reel was amazing where you would show him freaking out because you call him buddy and then intercut it with a time where he would be you know um provocative just for the sake of being provocative it was it was um i it, it was a it was a strange experience to see someone who like Um, You see you see so much on like short Twitter clips dunking on people and you're like, okay, good for you, buddy. But then you see him put in an actual environment where he's challenged directly and it just it all falls apart. Um, How much do you think in these sort of debates with like prominent figures like Milo, it is about like breaking through, I guess, a veneer or like almost like a cult of personality with someone who's built themselves up as, you know, the amazing smart logic bro. Getting through that and then being able to take apart what they're actually saying rather than just being caught up in a performance piece
1: um that's the the hard part that i i still don't have a great answer for just because it's so individualized mm. with milo so i don't think it, uh, an example would get more extreme than milo as someone who is entirely performative there's very very little substance behind what he says uh of course he'll write a lot enough sp- uh like statistics in order to like give the veneer of someone who knows what they're talking about. But, you know, they're always out of context. They're always uh, rattle off rapid fire so they don't have a chance to be challenged. With Milo, it is all about the performance. And so going up against that person, a fan of Milo is going to be a fan of the performance. They're not going to be there to listen to carefully reasoned arguments um, with statistics and data and studies behind them. They are there. If they're a fan of Milo, they want to see Milo dunk on an SJW. And that is the kind of mindset that I went in expecting. And so countering that, like taking away like his primary dunking points and being that uh, and being more aggressive than I typically am during debates, threw him off his game to the point where he was this whiny baby crying about civility politics when he Mm. and he had to do it. And this is the best part. He had to whine about civility and come in here for a serious discussion all the while wearing a Black Cox matter T-shirt. So he had predicted something very differently. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't, not like he could like change that shirt mm-hmm. halfway through the debate, but it came off, uh, it didn't, it definitely didn't come off sincere. It come, came off mm-hmm. as him trying to yeah. to backpedal and just and <laughs> really try to get, to be on top again. So mm.
0: he'd made, he'd made a hard commitment quite early on. Um, but you know, watching that debate and watching a lot of your, your other stuff, you know, your style is, I think it's very fitting to your name, you know, science lad. It's very, um, like I think I saw it quite a lot in your conversation with Sargon of Cad and V with um Papa J where there's all of this rhetoric flying about people are saying they're very emotionally charged sentences, and then you, you you sit there and you go, well, can we please talk about the studies and and like these facts that I have a massive document on, and like a million of them? How how important do you think it is in being able to wrestle down personalities to hey, I have I have a million facts and studies. I'm clearly on the right side here. It's all, it's like it's taking the Ben Shapiro logic bro thing. To its actual, you know, correct conclusion of rather than just like talking quickly and pretending you're smart, really engaging with, um, you know, I guess the the empirical reality of these situations when you when you talk to them. How how difficult is it, or how important do you feel it is in trying to ground these conversations with people um, in um, studies and empiricism and research?
1: I think that so I'm a big uh, so the more I go do into debates and the more I read up about rhetoric and the more I do actual Ironically, the more I do research on how to talk to people and what people actually care about, Mm -hmm. I don't think studies are enough. I don't think being correct is enough to win a debate or to win someone over to your side. Um, So I'm of the belief that uh, reason and logic and data is one third of the picture. So that's it's not to say that's not important. Like if you still want to uh, convince someone people care about, you know, being correct. People care about uh, having the best view of reality and the most coherent view of reality. People definitely care about that. But it's still only part of the picture. The other two parts are your character. Like like uh, like I was saying earlier, someone has to like you to take you seriously and i'm I'm definitely guilty of this if I hear a bunch of like statistics and studies from someone I viscerally dislike, I'm probably not going to believe them, or at least I'm not going to admit that I believe them because I viscerally dislike that person that's irrational but hey i'm mm-hmm. a, I'm a, a human being with with all the flesh and, and and meat so uh and the other part is emotion, so they have to like you it help and it it definitely helps to have the actual data and studies on your side, but also the person who you're talking to has to care about that data. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, I'm doing a lot of research on income inequality, and um, so people in, in the United States they actually know more about the the degree of income inequality than you might think, especially given our our you know uh, our our belief in meritocracy and people get what they deserve. We actually know quite a bit about how bad income inequality is, mm-hmm. but people don't really care about it for a ton of other reasons that I'm still doing research on. But the gist of it is, well, my. View of the world says that we live in a just world, uh, Everything, get, everybody gets what they deserve, so if there is this giant gap between the highest earners and the lowest earners, well, it must be because that the highest earners deserve it, and so do the lowest earners. So you have to make them care about those statistics, more so than just making them aware of them.
0: Mm-hmm. So – I think one thing that we see, you know, after any sort of debate with a prominent, you know, um, with a prominent leftist and a prominent um, right-wing person, you know, like your Milo's or your Sargon's or whatever, um, there is always a, a large discourse, whether it be on, you know, Twitter or Discord or whatever, saying uh, about about platforming. Um, it's something which is talked about quite heavily in left-wing circles, especially about whether it is worth platforming someone. Um, what what is your opinion on the the debate around platforming, whether it's more harmful to, um, you know? present these people and these ideas or whether it's better to actually engage with them directly um, so that one can, you know, try and take them down.
1: I think it's less a question of whether or not you should do something and whether uh, and more of a question of what are you good at? So, for example, if you're not good at debate, debate is a skill that is that. Speaks nothing towards your intelligence, mm-hmm. your ability to research, your ability to talk to people. Debate is a very specific skill. And if you're not good at debate, you shouldn't do it. You might be really good at writing. Uh, you might be really good at video essays. You might be really good at, at writing. You might be really good at Twitter. Twitter is in, in of itself like a skill. I actually believe that. Like Being able to put your thoughts into something short, quippy, uh, to the points with that character limit, that's a skill. Um, but I'm also of the belief that um, we can win even when the other team shows up. I think that, you know, not everybody's geared this way, but you have to admit that some people are geared this way. We test ideas by putting them up against opposition. And there is a big segment of the population where if they never see these ideas challenged, they're just going to believe them. And that's, you know, that goes both ways like. Uh, so for example, like, I think, I think it's pretty safe to say that most, most of us, especially if we grew up in United States or or Britain or something like that, we think that racism is bad. We were, we were, grew up, uh, being told that racism is bad, but did we ever really like have the, um, the practice of Mm -hmm. defending why racism is bad or was it just like this loose idea that we had? And so the minute someone comes in and, uh, challenges it for the first time, you might be like, Oh. I've never thought about it that way and I don't have the I don't have the experience to be able to counter it so I think it's important to maintain those muscles you know, like argumentation like your, your brain works a lot like your, your body if you don't practice something enough like it goes away so if you don't practice defending why racism is bad or why we should care about the poor or uh, stuff like that well you when you're encountered with people who have a very vested interest and have a lot of practice attacking those ideas they might you might not be able to stand up to scrutiny and I truly believe that if you think your ideas are the best, and I do, I think my ideas are the best, that's, that's why I have them, I think that if I researched enough, I could defend these ideas against anything, mm-hmm. and it's just a matter of can I prep enough, uh, because if in my prep I find out that I'm wrong, I probably shouldn't have that idea in the first place. So I think our, our ideas are good enough to stand up to scrutiny and to win even when the other team shows up. Regarding the platforming question, I don't know if I buy it. I think that there is something to be said of, like, debating an issue legitimizes it, but I don't know if that's 100% accurate. Like, debating an issue legitimizes it. I don't know if it does because in a lot of people's minds it's already legitimate. So, for example, I'll use a a personal experience. Um, Are gay people immoral? So since I'm gay, I, I feel comfortable. I'm not throwing anyone else under the bus here. So it is, on one hand, it's very shitty to... Uh, have this debate, especially to make a gay person engage in this debate, because they're debating their own existence. And there is no middle ground between these two positions. You, Someone either thinks you're bad, or they think you're just neutral and fine. Uh, and a middle ground in there is still bad. So mm-hmm. the only good outcome uh, about this debate is if someone comes all the way to your side, not just halfway. So there's no middle ground that you want to meet with these people. And I do get the I do get the you know the the fear there the issue is that a lot of people are already not on your side so do you want like i don't understand this notion that well you know we can't legitimize the position that gay people are bad we can't legitimize that well the trouble is if you're an advocate an lgbt advocate that's who you're trying to reach that is the exact audience you're trying to, to reach and people who already think like that have already had that idea legitimized in their heads that's the exact audience that you're trying to reach. You're not helping anybody mm-hmm. by keeping the conversation away from them. Do you so, think
0: that, Oh, sorry, do you think that it no. depends on the, I guess the, the venue of the platform? I think one thing that I've seen a lot, especially, you know, specifically um, in, in UK political discourse, um, as people saying, um, so I can't remember who it was, maybe like Tommy Robinson going on question time, which is like, um, I don't know if you know it, but it's like, they just have a bunch of politicians in like a little circle and they get asked questions from the audience. Um, people said that that was legitimizing, you know, basically a massive racist because it's, you know, the BBC, it's an official TV network and then it becomes almost part of the Overton window. Um, whereas when you're like an online sphere and it's more about, you know, it is a, a debate culture. There's a difference between national TV and then trying to appeal specifically to someone else's audience on YouTube, for example.
1: Yeah, uh, there is, I think there's uh, some legitimacy to that argument, like bringing on uh, someone like to- Tommy Robinson on the BBC mm-hmm. does introduce a lot of the public to, you know, not only the, these ideas, because they were probably aware of these ideas, but, oh, this guy's on, on actual TV now. These mm-hmm. ideas must be worth considering. I think that's, a fa- that. I mean, that's fair. So there's no hard right and wrong answers on all of these, but my answer to that would be, well, let's bring on someone who's exactly the opposite of Tommy Robinson on the mm-hmm. other side. And yeah. But again, because the, uh, the the risk is Tommy Robinson comes off looking reasonable and good and doesn't get the pushback. But mm-hmm. what if you brought on Tommy Robinson and then brought on a really, really skilled rhetorician who is in complete opposition to him and he just wipes the floor with Tommy Robinson? Mm-hmm. Now, now the conversation is not, well, Tommy Robinson was legitimized on a big platform. The conversation is now Tommy Robinson was just destroyed on a large platform. So there's, there's definitely risk in all of this. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, if you if you are doing the right debates, which is to say you're you're not just dunking on people everybody's going to laugh at. You're actually going up against people who are somewhat capable. You're going to lose a few. Mm-hmm. You are going to like uh, look worse to the audience than you will in others. That's a risk that you have to be willing to take uh, if you want to be effective at this specific means of advocacy.
0: Mm mm-hmm. So in your um, online advocacy, what would you say has been your most um, memorable or you feel like your, your most impactful moment in engaging with politics online? What has been your the moment that really stands out when you look over your um, your time um, in debate streams and YouTube?
1: Um, I think it was the most impactful uh, is just getting comments occasionally to say that, hey, thank you so much for this debate. Thank you so much for this video. Uh, it really helped me like uh formulate my own thoughts formulate my own opinions Mm -hmm. so i have a few videos that i'm I'm really proud of regarding trans issues where i do use a lot of scientific uh, data but also hopefully presented in a way that's at least entertaining and, and makes sense to people who maybe don't have a scientific background and getting comments like, hey man, I'm, I'm really, really glad you made this. Like this has helped me a lot. Uh, like the, I did a, a video on the Lisa Littman rapid onset gender dysphoria study, something that like turfs use a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did a really in-depth video with a, a friend of mine who, uh, <laughs> who helped me uh, make a lot of it uh, that was really, really personal to them. And getting that kind of feedback saying, thank you so much, I was scared of this paper uh, I was scared about what it might mean because I hadn't seen too many people uh, showing what the paper said. I only heard the, the TERFs telling me what it said. But now I understand more. Now I feel better. Like, that's that's by far the best best thing that can happen, in my mm-hmm. opinion, to the impact that I want to have.
0: Sure. So for those who don't know, um, TERF is trans, exclusionary, radical feminist. Um. So someone who would identify themselves as a feminist but then – um, won't count transgender people um, you recently published your um, amazing, what was it called um, the Turf Rebuttal Super Document that's um, on your Twitter and it will be the link in the description as well um, so what is the, um, the Turf Rebuttal Super Doc and um, what Uh, has driven you to making such a comprehensive list um, of the scientific data around transgender issues?
1: Uh, Two things. One, so I have a uh, you know, I have a lot of trans, I follow a lot of trans people and I I, uh, I am followed by a lot of trans people. I'm especially followed a lot by uh, trans people who are engaging in these, who are doing, doing the good work. They're engaging with uh, if we don't want to say terse, we can call them gender critical people uh, and engaging with the LGB Alliance and engaging mm-hmm. with transphobes in general, they're putting in the work. And anytime that studies and science comes up, uh, they say, Hey, they'll tag me and say, Hey, do you have a resource on this exact issue? Because, you know, it's just a, a reputation that I've somehow <laughs> gotten for myself, which I'm, 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 I'm fine with That's that's a science lesson. Awesome. Science line. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so that combined with, I was approached, um, by a few people to do uh, to give like a counter response to Posey Parker. So Posey Parker is a pretty famous, like gender critical uh, exclusionary feminist who is Mm -hmm. really, really awful to trans people. She was giving a talk on this discord server and I was asked to come on before her to kind of like preempt preemptively like uh, show where she's wrong. And over the course of that, uh, one of my uh, friends gave me like, okay, so I'm involved in this space a ton. Here are like 11 primary points that I hear uh, turf spring up all the time. And it was like these uh, these questions. So it was a combination of, I ha- already had a ton of these studies. Well, why not just list them off in a Google doc, give you a link to them uh, via Sci-Hub, which is an amazing resource where you can get s- studies for free uh, and give a short description and then organize them t- uh, on their different topics. And also towards the bottom of the document, the second half of the document, Let's see if we can have sourced answers for a lot of these common talking points. Now, I wasn't able to get to all of those talking points because a lot of them just didn't have a scientific answer. And kind of what we were saying <laughs> earlier, earlier, that's my, my specialty is uh, finding the research and empirical data. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes that's not enough. So I did what I could in terms of the data. So this is a resource. This is a resource for people to get the data to make their own arguments. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's just really nice just to have this uh, out there so that if someone wants to do their own research hopefully it's organized well and it's just gonna make people more informed on these issues
0: mm-hmm. so why do you think that um i'm not sure if this is something that i've just experienced um but why do you think that um trans are ones that seem to be quite um almost you know vehemently um sort of rejected by a lot of people um I, now i talk to a lot of people uh of different sides of the political spectrum and normally i can find some leniency or like sort of whether it's not you know changing their op- opinions but s- Getting getting somewhat somewhat of a um, some pullback, I guess, whereas uh, I don't know if it's just just my thing. Maybe I need to use the document more um, transition has been something that I've I've struggled with a little bit. Why do you think there is such a was, you know, such a such a widespread lack of acceptance on um, on trans issues?
1: Um, it's, it's a tough one. I would have to say that a lot of people are one of the so I know this ironically enough from researching trans issues. One of the first identities that we have for ourselves is gender. So it is one of the first lenses through which we view the world. So we developed uh, a gender, I- and uh, yeah, I'm gonna call it a gender identity because that's what it is. We <laughs> develop a gender identity or at least a sense of gender by the time we're two or three. It's one of the first lenses through which we view the world, one of our first ways to classify people into two categories. So when we're babies, everybody's just in a amor- amorphous blob, but one of the first uh, you know, lenses we get is, well, there's like a, a, a blue blob and a pink blob, of and those, those are our parents. To put it in very scientific terms, mm-hmm. so it's really ingrained in a lot of people. And when someone goes against our preconceived uh, conceptions of what those ought to be or what those typically are, it can just be a shock. I'm not. Uh, I don't think it's healthy to say that you know someone is just evil if they don't understand something uh, right away. I don't think that's helpful. And one of the reasons that I've got into trans issues so much is because one, I care about people, but 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 two, I have an ego, and trans issues are the easiest thing to be right about in terms of the scientific data. So if you do even a little bit of research on trans issues, it is it, it's, it's so easy to be
0: correct. It, it all comes back around to dunking on people, you know, um... uh,
1: unfortunately, yeah. Oh, well, that, that doesn't. Well, if you've talked enough with uh, with, with TERFs, you'll realize that that's not enough. Like just <laughs> just showing that they're empirically wrong about something. That's not mm-hmm. enough to convince them. So they're so just a dunking doesn't work. It has mm-hmm. to be you have to go a step farther and actually reach out to them, which mm-hmm. is challenging.
0: So one thing that I've seen um, online when discussing trans issues, um, you know, even from even in leftist spaces, is people say. I guess you could sometimes describe them as like class reductionists when they would say, "Oh, pe- we shouldn't be focusing on um, trans issues as much as they do. They're over talked about or over represented in in you know leftist discourse. You know, even potentially going as far as to it as like a distraction." What would you say to someone who has this, I guess, like quite a cavalier attitude towards um, these 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 topics? I'd say that there's
1: is no one issue that everybody in the world cares about. You can try to make everything about class, but that's just not how people view the world. A lot of people have, you know, other, other lenses for lack of a better word through which they view the world that they might think is more important. There is a case to be made that one of the reasons that, that one of the reasons that, uh homophobia, racism, transphobia, all that stuff is bad is because it can negatively impact your material circumstances. So like, you know, you're not getting hired for jobs. You're being rejected by, uh, you know, society which means you don't have less opportunities mm-hmm. so there is a case to be made that will ultimately it we'll all come down to material circumstances but that's not everything um you know money is important but it o- it's only important uh it's only important insofar as it helps us achieve uh happiness in life or it helps us avoid things that might may bring us harm so class reductionism i think you can reduce that even further you can reduce class down to happiness class as a means to achieve happiness mm-hmm. and for a lot of people you know, getting rejected by half your family is a big blow to your happiness, regardless of your class. And so these things are not separable. I think it, so. There, there's my there's my take. You can reduce class even further down to the real issue of human happiness. And in that uh, and in that view of things, class is only one part of it.
0: The way to solve class reduction is, is to be mo- is to reduce, it to reduce it further. We have to keep reducing it. Yes
1: eventually oh we'll get down to the to the point where like uh, me want banana me go eat banana and that go, is back go back to monkey go back to monkey
0: we need to go back to monkey it's the only way to be happy um on the utilitarianism joke uh, i think it's like it's a very common thing in laughing wing utilitarianism and obviously i'm a fan um but there was a very funny um thing where it was like the utilitarian presidential candidate and they just go up and say right here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna breed about a billion rats and then we're gonna have them constantly um like dosed up with um, endorphins, dopamine and all the good stuff so that they are in a constant state of happiness. So we will build the pure, the purest utilitarian machine of a force for good of just a billion rats, purely happy all the time. And frankly, I, I, ever since then, I've been convinced.
1: well how could you be sad if it was just these like fucking ecstatic rats just bouncing all over the place a great being time. super happy just vibing <laughs> all over the place mm-hmm. how could you be sad
0: yeah i mean i took outside. that example i swapped out rats for bulbasaur's and you know i would i would i would take out i'd say about half of humanity to make one bulbasaur real i think that's reasonable <laughs> look think, at yeah, him
1: that, that's good yeah look
0: at him look at him look at such a a pure joy.
1: <laughs> look at his
0: face <laughs> oh god i I, i'm not proud to admit that um the um uh when animal crossing first came out the very first thing i did was unlock how to paint and i painted that and i put it on my wall and i was very proud of myself
1: of course (laughs) that that is the best use of your time i'm not even being ironic right now
0: (laughs) i could have you know i could have been doing all this amazing online advocacy but instead i was drawing bulbasaur and honestly i'm happier for it yeah yeah it makes you a happier (laughs) person hey look at that exactly it, once again it comes full circle <laughs> right then jangles thank you so much for coming on this has been amazing um i've all, all the links will be in the description it's at just sjw debates on twitter uh Django science lad sjw debates on youtube as well uh, i encourage everyone to go check out um check out your channel um yeah it's you're one of the best i guess uh, up-and-coming left-wing political content creators uh the debates are amazing i'd encourage everyone to go watch them um thank you so much for coming on
1: Yeah, I I had a lot of fun. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Okay. Uh, You can subscribe if you want. You can like if you want. That would be nice. That's my spiel. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.